0: welcome listeners but take heed we will say whatever we need to share our knowledge thoughts and joy and even things that do annoy so join us now but be aware we have a tendency to swear we'll
1: dial it back a little bit but frankly we don't give a shit welcome to just keep rolling a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast I am Katie and the social butterfly sitting next to me is Ellen Says the introverted spider. Hey, I was being nice. You don't have to
0: call me a spider. But you have me all wrapped in your web of love. (laughs) And there's no escaping. (laughs) Well, that's not creepy. (laughs) Let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered Chapter 7, Bagman and Crouch, and these sort of corresponding film scenes. Apparently, Mr. Weasley needs a visit from the Count, Ah ah ah. Wizard Coachella wasn't quite magical enough for our tastes, but at least no muggles had to worry about brain damage. Archie definitely preferred freeballing over assimilating. Ludo Bagman fails the statute of secrecy, yet is somehow trusted with all the secrets. In the book, the girls needed a separate tent from the boys to be proper, but the movie gives zero fucks about propriety. Harry asks all the questions, while movie Hermione inexplicably already knows everything. And fandom worlds collide when the Weasleys camp in a TARDIS.
1: During episode 68, it doesn't make sense. Our Potter pondering was, since there was a lot left out from chapter 7, Bagman and Crouch, what did you miss most from the book, and why did you pick Archie and his flowered nightgown? (laughs) We said you can also mention other moments that you would have liked to see, too, just, you know, in case there were any. But, come on, Archie. Archie, just saying. <laughs> Carly quoted the scene, but also said that she would have liked to see Hermione giggle at this so much that she had to walk away. Also, Ludo Bagman? Like, he's a pretty major character in this book. And they just cut him out. Why? She also asks who we would like to see cast as Ludo Bagman. That's such a good question. I
0: kind of imagine him a little bit like a muscular, gone to Lockhart. Oh, yeah. But I don't know British actors well enough like, to be like, oh, I would want this person. I guess it doesn't have to be a British actor since this is just our fantasy casting. I but... mean,
1: it helps. It does, right?
0: <laughs> so we have Quincy on Discord right now, and he just suggested either Colin Firth, or James Corden as Ludo Bagman. And, I'm loving James Corden. Yeah, I'm kind of digging that. That would be some good casting. Honestly, that sounds
1: perfect. He's got the right bod. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got that like overexcited Labradoodle kind yeah, of feel about him. Yeah, I like yeah. it. Good suggestion. Well done, Quincy. <laughs> <laughs> then Carly also mentioned Percy being called Weatherby by someone who knows his father. Which, that's a really valid point. right? <laughs> I completely forgot about that. Well,
0: I think it's, was he saying Weatherby instead of Weasley, or did he think his first name was Weatherby? See, because I always
1: thought it was the way that Slughorn does, where he calls him, like, Wallenby and, with Ron, because he thinks that's his last name. So I always assumed he thought it was his last name. But, I mean, it does make sense that way, too. Yeah, I always thought that it was
0: Weatherby instead of Percy, because it rhymes I can see that too. Yeah. And as Carly pointed out, he knew his father. You would think that unless it's just another way of saying that the Weasleys were like down on the totem pole and somebody higher up in the ministry can't even bother to get their name right. Could be that. True. Either one works, I'd say. Yeah. Quincy said he agrees with Carly. It could have been done amazingly. The director is such a cunt for how he handled it in the movie. Like the whole movie. The scene leading up to the Quidditch World Cup was rushed and disjointed. He said he's inclined to believe he never read the C-
1: Oh, wait. He didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Juliana said that Archie and his comic relief would have been a nice inclusion. Ludo would have been cool to see as well. The other thing that should have been in the movie is the omnioculars. What a cool thing to have. Plus, it sets up the fact that Harry's wand is missing in a few chapters. Yeah.
0: Dave first said, cho chang! ching waving at Harry, but then he clarified that he really just wanted to say (laughs) cho-chang, which is nice because it gives me the opportunity to say cho-chang as well. (laughs) You had to throw that one in there too, Uh, didn't you? Yeah. All right. He then mentioned the little kid wizards playing with slugs and the toy brooms, Crouch calling Percy Weatherby twice, and the fake wand turning into a rubber chicken and making a noise.
1: (laughs) Jackson said, aside from old Archie, he thinks the thing he missed the most was Ludo Bagman himself. While he might not have been vitally important in the grand scheme, he was still a great character. Plus, not seeing the twins laugh when Crouch called Percy Weatherby was a disappointment. Yeah. hmm
0: I think that with everybody's love for Ludo and the fact that he was missing from the movies, we should make that a Potter pondering as well. Yes. I agree. See who they think he should have been casted as. Mm-hmm. But thank you so much for all of your responses. Love it. Our trivia question last week was, What is the name of the broom that is advertised on the blackboard as safe, reliable, and with a built-in anti-burglar buzzer at
1: the Quidditch World Cup? The blackboard kept switching out to gold-lettered advertisements, starting with an ad for the blue bottle. A broom for all the family. So this was one of the most amazing weeks yet with the trivia question. The
0: episode posted at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, as per usual, Mm -hmm. and within minutes I got a Facebook notification on my phone about the post. When I went to check to see who answered it first, I had two comments that were both posted with the timestamp just now. Well. I checked my computer and it said that both Mike Riley and Max Nash responded correctly to the trivia
1: post at 8.02 p.m. It is so impressive that they both were able to access the episode, jump ahead to the trivia question, know the answer, and post it with the code word within two minutes of the episode publishing. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. But this is our first ever actual tie, since
0: Facebook only shows us down to the minute and not down to the second. So congratulations to both Mike and Max. Mm -hmm. This puts Mike at a four-week streak, but who knows
1: if he can actually hang on to it since the competition is bringing it. Yep. Can't wait to see who gets it this week. But for now, let's just keep rolling into the first half of Chapter 8, the Quidditch World Cup, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 8, the Quidditch World Cup, Part 1. Mr.
0: Weasley leads everyone down the lantern-lit trail, excitedly clutching their purchases. Thousands of people are moving around them, singing and laughing, and after about 20 minutes, they find themselves in the shadow of a stadium large enough to fit 10 cathedrals and able to seat 100,000 witches and wizards. Mr. Weasley says that a task force of 500 people had been working on it all year, and it's covered with muggle-repelling charms. A ministry witch checks their tickets and sends them up to their prime seats in the top box. They head up the purple-carpeted stadium stairs with the rest of the crowd and just kept on climbing until they reached a small box with about 20 purple and gold chairs at the highest point of the stadium, directly between the golden goalposts. They could see thousands of people taking their seats and a gigantic blackboard directly across from them that was flashing handwritten advertisements in gold lettering. Harry looks away from the board to see a familiar-looking creature with long, bat-like ears hiding its face and exclaims, Dobby! The little house elf looked up at him and Harry realizes it wasn't Dobby as she squeaks that she knows Dobby too and introduces herself as Winky. She sees Harry's scar and recognizes him as Harry Potter, saying that Dobby talks of him all the time. Harry asks how freedom is suiting him and Winky says that she thinks freedom is going to his head. He's having trouble getting another position because he wants to be paid. She looks absolutely horrified when Harry asks why he shouldn't be paid, and explains that house elves are not to be paid or to have fun. They're supposed to do what they are told, which is why she's in the top box even though she doesn't like heights. Her master asked her to save his seat, so she's there because she's a good elf, even though she wishes she's back in the tent instead. She hides her eyes again and Ron comments on how weird house elves are before testing his omnioculars. Hermione is skimming her velvet-covered program and announces that a display from the mascots will precede the match, which Mr. Weasley says is always worth watching. Over the next half hour, the box continues to fill with very important wizards. Mr. Weasley shakes their hands and Percy continually jumps up out of his seat to eagerly greet them. When the minister, Cornelius Fudge, arrives, he embarrasses himself by bowing so low his glasses slip off and shatter. He sits back in his seat and shoots jealous looks at Harry as the minister greets him like an old friend and attempts to introduce him to the Bulgarian minister, who doesn't seem to understand English. The Bulgarian wizard does notice Harry's scar and begins to talk excitedly about it, causing Fudge to tell Harry that he knew they'd get there in the end, but he isn't so great at languages. He mentions that's what he needs Barty Crouch for, and is glad to see his house elf is saving him a seat, since the Bulgarians have been trying to take all the good ones. He changes the subject when he notices Lucius Malfoy and greets him. Harry, Ron, and Hermione turn to see Lucius, his son Draco, and a tall, slim, blonde woman with a very haughty expression that must have been Draco's mother. Mr. Malfoy introduces his wife, Narcissa, and his son, Draco, to the minister, who greets them and starts to introduce them to the Bulgarian minister before deciding there wasn't any point, and moving on to acknowledge that he must already know Arthur Weasley. In a tense moment, the two men look at each other, and Lucius asks Arthur how he'd been able to afford seats in the top box. Not paying any attention, Fudge speaks up again to mention that Lucius had just given a very generous donation to St. Mungo's Hospital and is there as his guest. Mr. Weasley gives a very strained, how nice, and Mr. Malfoy sneers at Hermione, though he doesn't say anything to her in front of the minister. As they head to their seats, Draco gives a contemptuous look at the trio, then sits down between his parents. Ron calls them slimy gits, but then Ludo Bagman bounds into the box, ready to start the match.
1: The movie starts out panning over the campsite to the huge, well-lit Quidditch stadium, packed with thousands of cheering fans. The camera hesitates on an aerial view as fireworks go off, then transitions to behind the stands, where people are clamoring to find their seats. As Mr. Weasley excitedly looks up and around, Ron asks him how far up they are. From a landing below them, Lucius Malfoy calls up to them that they will be the first to know if it rains. As the Weasleys silently glare down at Mr. Malfoy, his son Draco adds that they will be sitting in the minister's box, by personal invitation of Cornelius Fudge himself. As they continue to walk up the stairs toward the Weasleys, Lucius jabs Draco with his cane and tells him not to boast, saying there's no need with these people. Harry, Hermione, and the Weasleys turn to walk away from them, and Mr. Malfoy hooks Harry with his cane to stop him. He tells Harry to enjoy himself, while he can, and gives a little smirk before the camera cuts inside the pitch and pans over the spectators as balloons in Irish and Bulgarian colors float up into the stands.
0: So we can call the film scenes corresponding in the sense that they happen at the same points in the movie and the book. Mm-hmm. The timing is there. But aside from that, there are quite a few differences.
1: Quite a few. Yeah.
0: I should say so. The book starts out with Mr. Weasley leading the group through the woods, surrounded by the sounds of thousands of people singing and shouting and laughing as they make their way to the
1: giant gold-walled field. Because, you know, way to keep under the radar, wizards. Muggle-repelling charms. (laughs) Yeah, but still, no wonder Harry's, like, obsessed with gold. Right? Jesus Christ. Movie doesn't show any kind of hike, it just starts out panning over the campsite, right to the huge, well-lit, and completely packed Quidditch stadium. Which I think gave a good depiction of how it was described in the book.
0: Mr. Weasley sees Harry's odd expression and tells him that it can seat 100,000 people, and a ministry task force of 500 has spent all year putting up
1: anti-muggle charms. Yeah, the movie gives us an aerial view of the stadium that looks pretty much how I imagined it based on the books. And then the scene transitions to behind the stands, where people are navigating the stairs that rival the route to divination. Yeah. It's insane. There's a lot of stairs. A lot of fucking stairs. It's a lot of cardio. So much cardio. Oh my god.
0: (laughs) In the book, they reach the nearest entrance, and a ministry witch directs
1: them to the top box, straight upstairs, high as you can go. This sentiment is reached in the movie by having Mr. Weasley excitedly looking up and around as Ron asks him how far up they are. In the book, their trek is made up purple carpeted stairs,
0: and the movie didn't look like it had that.
1: No, the movie was like haphazard scaffolding, it looked like. Yeah. More than anything. No
0: purple carpet. Nope. No gold walls either. Nah. But that never really stood out to me when I read the book the first time.
1: Yeah. I put so much space between watching the movie and reading the book because i don't like to be disappointed now i do it for a living but <laughs> a living <laughs> well i do it for the accolades the accolades be <laughs> but i never really thought about it but now knowing that it's literally described as gold walls i'm like oh yeah that wasn't there it was more like a giant hole dug into the ground yeah than anything which i liked that though
0: It was pretty elaborate. Mm -hmm. And watching it, I wasn't dissatisfied. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, that's how I pictured it from the book. But like I said, I kind of glossed over the details about the gold and the purple. Yeah. Going back and looking at it more closely, I'm like, they didn't really do that. But everything else about it felt pretty spot on to me.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the back of the stands, I mean, it felt like being at a stadium for any other sports ball game that you could be at, you know? Yeah. So it made sense. It's not like it was out of place. Right. Right. But they head
0: all the way up the stairs until they reach the top and enter a small box at the highest point of the stadium, and exactly at the halfway point between the golden goalposts. There's about 20 purple and gold chairs in two rows, and Harry, Hermione, and the Weasleys fill the front seats, looking over the stadium, which appears to be glowing with a golden light. And the giant blackboard across the field from them has advertisements flashing in gold writing for things like Mrs. Scour's all-purpose magical mess remover and the blue bottle, a broom for all the family.
1: Which was our trivia question.
0: Yep. Then Harry looks around their box to see who else is sitting with them, and he sees a house elf hiding its face, incredulously saying, Dobby? Everyone looks around as the squeaky house elf says she knows Dobby too, introduces herself as Winky, and says that he must be Harry Potter. Well, he must be, of course. He's got that scar. And he knows what house elves are. So right. So obviously he's Harry Potter. Clearly. Come on. Honestly. <laughs> but apparently Dobby talks about him all the time. And when Harry asks how freedom is treating him, she says that Harry might not have done Dobby a favor by freeing him. <laughs> Because now Dobby expects to be paid, and it's giving him a big head, so nobody else wants to hire him. Hmm, that is pretty awkward. According to Winky, house elves aren't to be paid, they're to do what they're told. That sounds like Stockholm Syndrome. Right? (laughs) It's
1: being honest, like...
0: She goes on to say that she doesn't like heights, but her master sent her to the top box to save him a seat so she's there, because she's a good house elf. Then she hides her face again, because she doesn't like heights. That's so messed up. I know. I'm sorry. That's just poor Winky. I can totally see why Hermione started Spew. Right. Facts. We're about to do it now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Legitimately. Ron says that house elves are weird, and Harry tells him that Dobby was weirder. Which, yeah. I mean, he was. He was an adorably odd elf. But he was
1: Dobby. He was Dobby. He was was our Dobby. Dobby. He was a good Dobby. (laughs) He was a good Dobby. You're a good Dobby. Yes, you are. Wow. So, uh, none of that happened in the movie, though. (laughs) (laughs) That being said, (laughs) literally none of it happened in the movie. Actually, they're still on the stairs heading up to their seats. After Ron asks how far up they are, Lucius Malfoy calls up to them from a landing below to, put it this way, they will be the first to know when it rains. (laughs) Because, you know, he's a dick like that. And I mean, seriously, was Lucius just hanging out on that landing, waiting to see the Weasleys? Like, he's going the right way for a restraining order. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, dude, he's just standing there like they walked past and he was just like chilling there like he was standing there going... Not a Weasley. Not a Weasley. Weasley. Not Not a a Weasley. Not Not a Weasley. Weasley. Oh, Weasley! (laughs) Fuck! It's my time! Activate scorn! (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
0: But we kind of had to organize things like this for this episode because the Weasleys do have a run-in with the Malvoys in the book during this chapter, but the movie sets it up a bit differently as well as omits everything about Winky and a few other details.
1: What? I know, right? You make it sound like they're not the same thing. They just like flipped
0: the order in which things happened mm-hmm. and then changed a bunch of details and left a whole bunch out. So
1: it's like they took the book, burned random pages, <laughs> and then just threw the rest of them up in the air. Right? <laughs> As though Quentin Tarantino had directed this film. <laughs> nope. Newell! Newell!
0: <laughs> but in the book, up in the box. Ron pulls out his omnioculars to test them out, and Hermione is looking through her velvet-covered program, probably also purple and gold. I would imagine. She tells them that there will be a display from the team mascots before the match, and Mr. Weasley says that the national teams bring creatures from their native land to put on a show.
1: I bet Peter would have a field day with that one, wouldn't they?
0: <laughs> probably, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean... Just- As their box gradually fills up, Mr. Weasley shakes many hands and Percy continuously jumps up. Like, I believe the book described it as though he was trying to sit on a hedgehog. (laughs) 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 It's like every time he'd sit back down, someone else important would enter the box and be like, I must shake your hand.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Like a dog at a house party. Right? Every new person,
0: new people. You know, if Percy had a tail, it was wagging. Oh, yeah, definitely. But then when Cornelius Fudge arrives, he bows so deeply that his glasses fall off and break.
1: (laughs) Of course they do. And then he's
0: embarrassed and he fixes them and he sits down quietly (laughs) and just kind of glares at Harry because Fudge completely just greets
1: Harry like an old friend. And Percy's just like, I want to be Fudge's old friend. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, those green eyed Weasleys. Right. We'll see more of them later. Yes, we will.
0: (laughs) fudge attempts to introduce harry to the bulgarian minister who doesn't seem to understand what he's saying at all and like fudge is like trying to mime it to him and it's just he's like never mind (laughs) just Just forget and then the bulgarian minister notices the scar in his head and gets really excited so he's like i knew he would get there in the end
1: i mean you would think that would be the first thing he would do be like this point to the scar harry potter look at his forehead I don't know, maybe his horrid hair was hiding it. Oh my god, it's such fucking horrid hair. But after
0: Fudge is like, I knew we'd get there in the end, he notices Winky is saving Barty Crouch's seat. And he's like, good thing, because the Bulgarians have been trying to get all of the best seats. Well, I mean, of course they would. Right? I mean, why would you not want the best seats? But then Fudge notices Lucius arriving. So now we're getting into where the encounter happens in the book.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely not how it happened in the movie. That's for goddamn sure. <laughs> <laughs> the Weasleys are all just glaring down at Nazi Von the first when Nazi Von the II informs them that they will be sitting in the minister's box by a personal invitation of Cornelius Fudge himself, which implies that they are clearly not in the same box. Right. Which then
0: also made their run-in quite a bit different. Mm-hmm. In the book... Carrie, Ron, and Hermione turn to see the Von Duschbeg family approaching, and Lucius introduces his wife, Narcissa, and his son Draco to the minister. And Narcissa wasn't even present in the movie. Right, she just, eh, we don't need to get another actress. Mm -hmm. The minister attempts to introduce them to the Bulgarian minister, but gives up since he doesn't think they can understand him anyways, and instead says he must already know Arthur Weasley. Nazi Von Douchebag the First activates the scorn and makes a snide comment about what he must have sold to get those seats, and that their house surely would not have been enough.
1: Yeah, the movie definitely made the dig more about how they had shitty seats. What with Draco's brag about sitting in the minister's box.
0: Hmm. Yeah, especially since in the book, they were literally in the same box.
1: Right. Exactly. But then the Von Douches continue to walk up the stairs toward the Weasleys, and Lucius jabs his son with his cane and tells him not to boast, saying there's no need with these people. Because, you know, I don't know if you've caught this already, but it's a douche. That's why we call them the Von Douchebags. (laughs) Yep, exactly. It's almost like we planned it. What? Crazy talk. It's like it was an apt nickname. What? We're (laughs) canuts. The Weasley party just ignores them and turns to walk away, like they should. Mm -hmm. But Nazi Von Douchebag the First hooks Harry with his cane to stop him. He tells Harry to enjoy himself while he can. Was that a threat? Because, I mean, like, that legitimately sounded like a threat, right? Oh, it definitely sounded like a threat. That was a straight up threat.
0: But I'm gonna need him to stop looking so luscious when he acts like such a Nazi Von Douche. (laughs) It's giving me a really conflicted lady boner. That's understandable. Because Jason Isaacs. He is luscious. I mean, Nazi Von Douchebag, eh, but Jason Isaacs, man. <laughs> exactly. In the book, he doesn't actually say anything to Harry. Nazi Von Douchebag the First actually gives Hermione a cold look. Harry knows it's because the Malfoys think that anyone who is not a pure blood witch or wizard is second class. <laughs> <laughs> I do believe that sums it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he then gives Mr. Weasley a final sneering look before he and his family make their way into their seats, Draco giving Harry, Ron, and Hermione a contemptuous look as he sits down, because he's desperate for daddy's approval.
1: Yeah. In the movie, the Weasleys just walk away like you should. Right. You know, that's the mature thing to do. So. Mm-hmm. Uh very obviously not the thing i would do i mean in the book had it happened
0: in that setting in the book there's a very good chance that book arthur would have just dived over the railing and right. tackled him just decked him but the movie doesn't like to show that side of mr weasley so well,
1: obviously well not to mention the fact that if they would have kept to the book fudge would have been right there and that right. wouldn't have looked clearly good, so. he's
0: not going to attack him in front of his boss
1: exactly makes sense So the Weasleys walk away, and the camera cuts inside the pitch and pans over the spectators as balloons in Irish and Bulgarian colors float up into the stands. All of the green and white float. Red and black balloons. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) In the book, this is when
0: Ludo Bagman bursts into the box and asks Fudge if everyone is ready to go. And we're going to end this section here.
1: Sure, why not? Which will bring us to our discussion about the new and returning actors. We really only have two this time since it's mostly all the same people from the last section. But we do get to see Helen's favorite, Jason Mm. Isaacs, as Lucius Malfoy, a.k.a. Nazi Von Douchebag the First, a.k.a. Luscious Malfoy.
0: So I really kind of want to know, because we follow him on Twitter, Mm -hmm. and I just really want to know I'm half tempted to tweet it at him. We should. I'm I'm a bit of a coward. But I really want to know what he would think about our nickname for his character, Nazi Von Douchebag the First. So blame it on me. (laughs) it is technically your fault i was gonna
1: say tweet it and blame it on me be like be like by the way this is katie ellen has nothing to do with this question (laughs) matter of fact katie's the one who came up with the nickname if you don't like it so there but if you do like it ellen came up with it so there's that
0: (laughs) i mean it was originally your idea i would say I, I, I i have no problem just being like hey, so we have this podcast and we nicknamed your character this. What are your thoughts? (laughs) But and then I'm going to be sad when he doesn't respond.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But what if he does, though, Ellen? Oh, my God, that would be amazing. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take, Ellen. That's a very good point. I'm probably
0: going to tweet at him later today. You should. I vote yes. But I absolutely love him as Lucius Malfoy. I think Mm. that he activates scorn amazingly. Yes. (laughs) That, he really does. It's that sneer and the the way that he gets his voice to just sound super arrogant and snotty. And mm-hmm. like, he's deplorable.
1: Yeah. You hate him on like Dursley level. Yeah. Hatred, and that's exactly what you right. want to do. He like, just... Oh, it's good. It's good. You hate him. You love to hate him. You hate that you love him a little bit.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's a little luscious.
1: <laughs> Not as a person, but physically. Lucius Malfoy is not luscious as a person. No. Okay. Jason Isaacs. Is luscious. Is luscious as a person. And physically. And physically. Yes. Well done, Jason Isaacs. Hello. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) If y'all could see the eyes, she just pulled at me, man. Woo. Even I melted a little bit. Bam.
0: But anyway, (laughs) Jason Isaacs, amazing at playing Lucius Malfoy. Mm -hmm. Amazing at being a Nazi Von Douchebag. Well done.
1: And fantastic at activate scorn. Yes. Although I have to say, he kind of sounds like he has phlegm caught in his throat during this scene, so I feel really bad for him. Maybe he was sick. Maybe he
0: was. We also see Tom Felton as Draco Malfoy, a.k.a. Nazi Von Douchebag Second, And Malfoy, Draco Malfoy himself, is not... Is a shit heel He is also not a luscious person. No. However, Tom Felton... Yes. Tom Felton is smoking
1: definitely he's adorable too oh my god he has admittedly like the rest of the cast terrible hair in this movie but that's that's the theme of this movie exactly right but that's not tom felton's fault in any way
0: no it is not and his depiction of malfoy he didn't do a lot in this scene he had his one line but it was very snotty yeah it just absolutely got that we're in the minister's box. Right. My
1: personal invitation. like I kind of love that it shows the father-son dynamic between Draco and Lucius. Because you can tell that Draco gets all of his ass-hattery from Lucius. But at the same time, Lucius is also like, dude. <laughs> well... His whole dude thing was about the
0: fact that it's wasted on yeah. people beneath them. Like you lick the boots of the people that can give you something. Yeah, you don't bother licking the boots of the people that are beneath you. Like that's just well, fucking... he wasn't licking their boots though.
1: He was boasting. Well,
0: but I see boasting about how great you are at something is in the same class as. Oh really? Yeah, you're trying to make yourself look good to somebody. Hmm. It's similar to boot licking. They're like, I am so amazing, and if you think that I'm amazing, then you're going to put me in a higher class. And Lucius is like, we don't fucking care if they put us in a higher class.
1: I'll give you that. But yeah, I do. I love the way that they kind of played off of each other.
0: Yeah. It's a very, like, this is my mini-me situation. Mm-hmm. That's why we went with Nazi Von douchebag the first and the second. Even though right. they don't have, like, junior-senior names in the actual story, <laughs> we're playing on the fact that... Draco was literally trying to do anything to get his father's approval. And exactly. I think that Tom Felton played that very well. Oh, yeah. And you can tell for real, too, that the two of them have an actual
1: relationship. Mm-hmm. Like, they tweet each other all the time, like father-son stuff, and it's really cute. There was a video on YouTube, I think it was, that they posted of them having a video call.
0: Yeah, they, Them yeah. doing a video
1: chat, and I loved it. And I love both of them, mm-hmm. even
0: though their characters are not lovable. They did such a good job making us hate them. Yeah. That I love them for it. Yeah. Like,
1: I feel bad because they kind of get typecast. Because Tom Felton does get a lot of the asshole parts. Which is so funny because he's so nice. I know. I mean, not that we've ever met him. Hint, hint, we would love to meet you sometime, Tom Felton. But. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) But we hear wonderful stories. (laughs) Wonderful stories about how nice he is. and And yet, like. The first thing I saw him in after Harry Potter was uh, the Planet of the Apes movie, and he was a little shit in that. And I'm just like, well, yeah, of course he is. Poor little typecast, baby. Poor little typecast, Draco. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a good thing he does it well, because, you know.
0: Hey, if he's getting jobs, that's what really matters, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. But that'll bring us to this week's Potter Pondering, which is, what did you think about the Quidditch Stadium the first time that you saw it? Did it fit what you imagined from the book's description?
0: And then also, give us your fantasy casting for Ludo Bagman. Who would you like to see play him if he were to be in a movie?
1: We're still voting James Corden, but
0: but I want to hear more suggestions. Honestly,
1: I really do. Find the post
0: on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. We really look forward to reading them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from our guest host from our most recent bonus episode, and now newest patron, Sarah Baines Miller. Yay! She writes, according to Pottermore, I'm in Gryffindor, though I think I should be in Ravenclaw. My Patronus is a wild rabbit, and my wand is spruce wood with a phoenix feather core 10 and 3 quarters inches, and surprisingly swishy flexibility. My love of Harry Potter began a little late. In college, my baby sister really missed me. She begged me to read this cool new book she was reading so that we could talk about it over the phone. That book ended up being Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Since that infamous day in 2004, I have reread the series 19 times. Well, wow. And she's been, like super rereading them lately because she's actually rewriting them from her perspective mm-hmm. she has the first two out we'll share the links again this is one of the things we talked about in our bonus episode with her but she has the first two actually written and published on fanfiction sites so we'll yeah. share the links to those they're pretty fantastic
1: right and she's working on
0: She's working Prisoner on Basket Prisoner of is- right now. She's going to do all seven. So. I can't wait
1: for that. Like, I'm really excited for that one. Yeah,
0: me too. It's fun having her as a patron because now we kind of get sneak peeks and behind the scene looks. So I know, right? It's pretty awesome. It's amazing. I'm so glad I approached her about being on an episode because now she's just like fitting right in with our <laughs> patron group. Exactly. And it's amazing.
1: That's why you're my little social butterfly. Yes. Hmm.
0: Introverted spider. <laughs> <laughs> But thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us, Sarah. Some of you may have already heard it before, but we thought she deserved to be on a main episode as well. Hell yeah. Since she is now one of us. One of us one, one of us. one of us. One of
1: us. us. <laughs> <laughs> if any of you other Keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. That too. Well, that'll bring us to this week's trivia question, which is, which player scored the first goal during the Quidditch World Cup? The prize for the first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag 10 will get a sticker.
0: Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, then you can write us a recommendation on our Facebook page. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling@gmail.com at to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. And I got to let you guys know, I have new stickers coming in the mail that are going to be added to this. So in addition to the usual ones, we will also have Amazon Prime stickers.
1: Nice!
0: So I did a little illustration of an owl. It's a white snowy owl holding a letter in its mouth. With nice. our logo on it and just keep rolling names and then it's flying over the letters Amazon Prime to look just like the Amazon Prime logo, <laughs> but it says Amazon. So, yeah, we got that. <laughs> yeah. So
1: I'm excited and They're the stickers adorable. are coming. So They're adorable, I have to say. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at JustKeepRolling.Podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question and getting one of those sweet, sweet Amazon Prime stickers. Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) You can also go to our website at JustKeepRolling.com to check out our Just Keep Rolling and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale, which also includes some Amazon Prime t-shirts and sweatshirts so nice we're building
1: up that stuff as we go yes don't forget to subscribe to our youtube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes cooking show episodes vlogs bloopers and other random videos if you would like to support us as a patron you can sign up on patreon.com
0: slash just keep rolling two dollars and up a month will get you some awesome perks like just keep rolling swag Maybe one of those Amazon Prime's diggers. Oh, hint, hint. Access to patron only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel, virtual hangouts, and
1: more. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. We also wanted to share that we were recently included in an article of the top 15 Harry Potter podcasts on Fiction Horizon. We've shared the link on social media, and it's in the description section of this episode, too. Yeah, check it out. We're so excited.
0: Technically, it's the top ten, because we're number nine. We and are. that's pretty cool. <clears throat> you know what else is cool? What? Our patron Quincy's birthday was this week. Wednesday, to be specific.
1: Yes, his single also was released on the same day. Yeah, we shared the link on
0: our Facebook page, so you can check that out. The song is called Go Off. Mm-hmm. And when you give it a listen, you can also wish him a happy belated birthday.
1: Yeah. And dance your ass off because it's a jam. And dance your ass off. We've already had a couple of dance parties because we keep we listening did. to it. It's very catchy. I'm really, really loving it. Pretty awesome. Super proud of you, Quincy. Happy birthday. We love you. You're amazing. Happy birthday. Thanks for being a keeper and a patron.
0: Mm-hmm. And join us next week when we talk about the second part of chapter eight, the Quidditch World Cup And the not-really-corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just keep keep rolling.
1: rolling.